celebrating the connection with our pets. This is Animal Radio, featuring your dream team, veterinarian Dr. Debbie White and groomer Joey Villani. And here are your hosts, Hal Abrams and Judy Francis. Just another tremendous show in what happens to be, I believe, the third episode of the Season of Stars by Accident. <laughs> As uh, The what? The season. Well, we usually had the Season of Stars here on Animal Radio. Yeah, that went a couple months. A uh-huh. couple months. Time. Went almost a year. Yeah, I guess it did. Holy moly, yes. And uh, it's it's happening again. For some reason, all the celebs are coming out. We had uh, Joyce DeWitt on uh-huh. a couple of weeks mm-hmm. back. Right. Today, Charlotte Ross will be joining us, talking about the animals that she loves and has in her world. Next week, country star Lori Morgan will be joining us. And wow. then there's rumor that Hillary cool. Swink will be joining us here in the near future. I, I love her. Oh, don't and you And they know? love their animals, yes. too. And we- I know why she's going to be on. And this is going to be very, very, very cool. Ooh. I just put two and two together here. Good so. for you. Good for you. <laughs> you know who's on today? It's Jackson Galaxy, who's the uh, big, he's like the cat whisperer. Yeah, he is. This will mm-hmm. be his second or third time, or in Judy's head, maybe the sixth or seventh time. Thirteen. Uh, hey. On Animal Radio. He's uh, actually talking about his new book called Catification, which tells you how to turn your house into a cat-friendly. That's cool. Yes. Into a yeah. cat house. A yeah, cat house. Cat-friendly house. Yep. So uh, let's get going right here. What do you got, Tammy? What are you working on today? Well, you know, it's so hard if you have animals to find a place to rent. Everybody knows that, and it's so terribly expensive. But there is one city in Northern California that may be putting a stop to landlords saying, no, I won't rent to you because you have a cat, a dog, a guinea pig, a fish, a bird, or whatever. Well, I know that happens a lot. Hopefully you'll you'll have answers for us coming up in just a few minutes right here on Animal Radio. Joey, what are you working on? Well, you know, I'm going to respond to getting yelled at um, this week for not getting someone in their holiday appointments that are coming up because we're already booked for the holidays. So I'm going to give people a tip on how to sneak their pets in um, real easy. You run and you open the door and you throw them in and then you close the door and you take off. That, well, that, that, that usually works, too, but we boot them right back out at that point. <laughs> cool. okay, well, tips with uh, Joey Villani, the dog father, in just a few minutes right here on Animal Radio. Uh, we welcome Steve to the show. Hi, Steve. Hi, how you doing? Good. Where are you calling from today? Uh, Costa Mesa, California. Costa Mesa. Okay, listening in Los Angeles. How can we help you? I got the whole team here for you. Yeah, I have a dog. I adopted him about, uh, he's seven years old now. It's a Red Merle Australian Shepherd, purebred. I adopted him about five years ago when he was two uh, from the uh, pound. And, uh, you know, he, he was really abused when I got him. He was a biter and he bit people and stuff. But I've, I've really worked with him and he's come along. He's a great job. But he still has an issue with other dogs. And mm-hmm. so when he'll come up uh, to another dog, you know, the dog will be up to him and he'll be friendly. And then, boom, all of a sudden he'll just snap at the other dog. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's like once he snaps at the dog, he's usually pretty good with the dog after that. But, you know, most people don't want to give him a second chance. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so I have some close friends that, you know, are willing to. And he's friends with those dogs. But other dogs, he just, it's like a dominance thing. And I, I don't know how to overcome that. Well, you know, some of the things that jump to mind right away from what you've described, there are some dogs that if they aren't adequately socialized when they're young and in that very moldable period of time of, uh, you know, about 5 to 12 to 16 weeks of age, if they don't have a lot of interactions on how to behave with other dogs or with people, they actually kind of fail to learn those cues on how to read another 
animal or person's behavior and, and how to react to that. So some of what an, another dog might understand is, okay, this dog is approaching me, but its tail is wagging. I don't need to be on, on the uh, protection or I don't need to be on the defense. Whereas other dogs just, just don't get it if they've never been exposed to that. So they might be more unpredictable and not follow the cues of another dog. Um, and, and I think so, that's exactly what I think what you're saying is exactly what's happened. I just think they mm-hmm. probably got him, you know, pulled him away from his mother when he was really young. But how do I overcome that? Well, you know, one of the things is just allowing him to snap at the other dog. I don't see that as a solution. We want to control the situation before you get to that point, because once that's already happened, you've already failed. So we yeah, want so that. What I've been trying to do is just keep him away from other dogs, you know, but uh, I'd really like him to get to the point where he can socialize with other dogs. Well, in, in what we want and what may be realistic for a pet with aggressive tendencies can be very different. So that's where, you know, I always I, I have high hopes when we manage things like this, but we have to be realistic. And not every dog can we work through the aggression to the level where they're going to play nice at, say, dog parks or at friends' homes and things like that. Um, we, we're going to just have to see how it works out and what your dog's response to the situations are. So now... Avoiding let me, the situation. Let me point one, one point one thing out. I mean, I have taken him to the dog beach and have let him loose at the dog beach. He plays rough, but I mean, he gets along, you know, in some situations with other dogs. So, you know, it's, you know, but then when I'm, he's on a leash walking them and another dog comes up to him, that's when he has the issue. Right. Well, sometimes can be, they get leash dominance, too. Exactly. We could have other issues other than just interdog social things. When you throw the human into the mix of things, it complicates things. So we're not just talking about interdog aggression. We're talking about protective aggression. So um, a dog that protects or is aggressive only when on the leash by the owner made you well off-leash in other scenarios. And, and that's something that you just to, you know, I usually advise to work with a, a behaviorist to help work through these things. But in managing a dog that is reactive or will bark or snap at another dog on a leash, part of what you're doing is good, that we're trying to avoid situations that could escalate and cause problems, but we need to work on training kind of in conjunction with that. So as you're trying to avoid those situations that get him amped up, anxious, and he may end end up snapping, we want to teach him calm behaviors. So what I usually, what I do for my dog is I teach her the watch me command. And it's basically your dog looks at you, makes eye contact, you give a treat. You reward them positively for looking at you for direction. And usually most dogs are sitting during this time, so that kind of is another way of just practicing basic obedience. But do that when you're avoiding those other dogs. You don't even have them in the sight or smell nearby for him. Practice that so he can learn to be relaxed and be responsive to your voice. And then that's the kind of thing that then with time we would approach dogs from a distance and then really watch his body language. because. Hey, is up when other dogs come around. I've noticed that. Yeah. So before that happens, we want to cut things short and turn and calmly, you know, turn in another direction. So just before he starts, you'll know once that distance, you start to say, okay, you know, 20 yards from here, there's another dog and I can see his ears are perking up. He's looking, his shoulders are getting a bit puffed up in the front. That's too close for him at that point. So in the future, you try to keep the distance back further and then work on the basic things like, you know, obedience commands and the watch me command. And then eventually, when he does that really well, we'll try to challenge that with a little bit closer proximity to another dog. We're not going to go nose to nose. We're not going anywhere close to that. We just want him to be okay with the sight of another dog nearby and being calm and looking to you for uh 
cues. So watching mm-hmm. you and looking for you, that's really what we're going to want to work on. So uh, you, you've got a lot of the, the right ideas, and obviously he's come a long way. Um, oh, but he's I think that. Way. <laughs> <laughs> well, good, good. Well, try that, and then definitely, if you are having other issues with close inter, inter, interactions where he's unpredictable or not giving cues, because that can be the other problem, is that a dog that sometimes is aggressive to another dog doesn't kind of give those other signals. So he may not be given off the visual cues of, you know, hey, I'm, un, I'm not cool with this, and the other dogs can't read it because he's not given those, those signs. Um, so, you know, working with a trainer to kind of help uh, on the ground can also be very helpful. See, what I thought was if I just, you know, could find a place where he can, I could just leave him for a week with a pack of dogs where he could just, you know, <laughs> intermingle and learn learn the behaviors, you know, but I guess that's probably a good uh, ideal solution. Well, you know, we, that's kind of like flooding where we throw an animal into a situation that makes them anxious or fearful and let them work through that. And in general, that doesn't really help. It's just going to increase this anxiety. But, um, you know, there are situations where I, I do have a doggy uh, facility that I use where we go for training. And they do often work with dogs that have these kind of problems. But they do it on a one-on-one basis first and don't just let the dog lose because that's not safe for anybody. Okay. Dogs have to talk up on dog treats. (laughs) Absolutely. You know what? As a veterinarian, I used to be so opposed to treats and food rewards. And I can tell you, the the benefits of food and positive reinforcement, it goes so far. And um, I have changed my ways. I used to say, don't give treats, don't give. I give my dogs boiled chicken. I give them uh, string cheese. You know, they get all sorts of stuff. But I use it in a training method when I want a high-value reward that really gets them excited. And I know they're going to respond to me instead of whatever else is, you know, I'm working on the training with. Okay. Well, thanks for your call, Steve. All right, thank you guys. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now with the free Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. Channel Cable, we were talking about common dog behavioral problems like barking, chewing, digging, and separation anxiety. Today we're going to talk about begging. It's a bad habit, but most of the time it's caused by the dog owner. A few years ago, a friend invited me over to his house for Super Bowl, told me I could bring my dog. I told my dog to go down, stay in the corner, and watched his dogs running lunatic all over the house. One jumped on the table and grabbed the ham right off, ran away with it. There's two of them, and he's got no control over either. They've got the run of the house, and they're ever everywhere he comes over to me he goes i don't get it how do you get your dog to stay like that i said i'll tell you what what's your biggest problem what do you wish you could stop right now he says begging i want my dogs to stop begging from the table and as he's telling me this he's feeding the dog from the table as he's talking to me He's giving him pieces of turkey while he's talking to me. I don't think he even realizes it. So I pointed it out. I said, look what you're doing right now. You can't feed a dog from the table and then expect him not to beg. You know, it's got to be one way or the other way. Either he never gets food from the table, people food, or he does. It's that simple. And if he does, he's going to beg. Giving in just once causes a huge problem. In the dog world, a subordinate would never beg from the lead dog. When you teach your dog that begging's okay, you jeopardize your role as pack leader. Before you sit down to eat, tell your 
dog to stay. Create a spot where you want your dog to be. Maybe it's a rug in the kitchen. And before you sit down to eat, tell him to stay. Tell him to go to his rug. You want to teach your dog not to stare at you and that begging is useless. That it's not permitted. If he is staring, put him in another room. If he behaves himself, you give him a treat, but only after you and the rest of your family are done eating. Over time, you'll be able to teach your dog that you are in charge and that begging from anyone in the pack or from any human period is just not permitted and that it's useless. Another good thing to do is always eat before you feed your dog. Then after you're done and you decide to feed him, make him work for the food. Have him sit and stay for 30, 40 seconds before you tell him to have at it. Well, good luck. We're all in this together. Thousands of authors across the country have written books and published them with Page Publishing. If you've written a book, they can help you through the process. Cut through the confusion of the publishing world to make it easy for you. If they decide to publish your book, your work ends, theirs begins. From copy editing and proofing to typesetting and book cover art. Plus, get your book printed, distributed, and sold on Amazon, Apple Books, Barnes & Noble, and in bookstores across the country. They even help promote your book. Biography, self-help, mystery, novels, sci-fi, or even a children's book. No matter what genre, Page Publishing can bring your book to life. And don't forget to ask about audiobooks. We do all of this for you. Call today for your free writer's guide, packed with tips, tricks, and templates to help you finish what you started. 800-215-6815. That's 800-215-6815. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now with the free Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. Obviously, working at Animal Radio doesn't exactly always pay the bills. We all have our hands in other things. For instance, Judy does a little bit of pet sitting on the side, dog walking. Joey Volani has a great line of uh, stain removals. It will get blood out of the carpet. You want to check that out. And, of course, Dr. Debbie has several books, four books, Yorkshire Terrier, Shih Tzus, Pugs, Mini Schnauzers, How to Be Your Dog's Best Friend. It is like the owner's manual or the guardian's manual for these dogs. And she does a fine job of writing, too. She's a good writer. Let's hit the phones right now for your calls for Dr. Debbie or for dog father Joey Villani. Well, hi, Pauline. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? Very well. So what's going on? How can we help you? Okay. I have a nine-year-old Aussie Blue Healer mix. Uh, I've had her since she was eight months old. Um, she's always been on the timid side, the nervous side, I guess. You know, she's going through separation anxiety, which started about a year ago when I moved into this new apartment. Um, mm-hmm. And basically, um, I have got her in a thunder shirt, which tends to work. I have her on 30 milligrams of Prozac every day. Um, and I'm just really lost as to... Um, I, I know the pheromones, I've been talking to people about pheromones, but I'm kind of lost as to where to go. I mean, if I take her to work with me, she's as happy as a clam. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if I, uh, if I leave her home for one day, take her to the next, it just makes like, I mean, she threw up the other day going to doggy daycare, so you know, the anxiety gets worse. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'm kind of lost. So when she has exhibited the behavior at home, what did, what does she do? What what all kind of uh, problems does she okay. exhibit? Um, she's in a, an older crate, which is like um, probably 30 years old, so it's very well built. You know, it's a heavy metal. She's actually gone through the front. She has like a small hole that she's put in the front of it, literally just chewing the wire. Mm-hmm. Um, I've taped her. I've recorded her from my computer, and she'll stand there and whine and, and yip. She has a very high-pitched bark. 
um, and then she paces, she'll claw at the pet cage, she paces, mm-hmm. um, you know, she yips, she's constantly panting, so um, high anxiety. Okay. And has she? have you always created her, or is that just something you've done to manage things? No, I trained her to the crate when she started with the separation anxiety. She eats in there every night. She actually, um, she's very good at it. When I'm in the apartment and I forget she's there, I'll look around going, uh-oh, where is she? And she's sitting in there waiting for me. You know, it's mm-hmm. the, so it's not a situation that she hates the crate, I don't think. I don't know if I, if I put her on a different anti-anxiety medicine or... Well, I, th- I think this is going to come to, there's no drug that's going to fix this. It's really going to have to f- fall on the hard work of behavior modification. And anytime we talk about separation anxiety, I always tell people, I can't give you a pill to fix this, and I can't give you a gadget to put on your dog. We really have to do the footwork and do that desensitizing. And that basically goes back to your um, departures and your arrivals. And any dog with separation anxiety, we really have to look at how we react and interact with our dogs. So if when a person comes home from work during the day, if you greet your dog, you pet them, you see what a good dog they are. Completely. Yeah, I'm sorry, interrupting, but I ignore exactly because she's a basket case. Yes. So, so, and that is, that is the right technique. So for about 15 Mm -hmm. to 30 minutes, either before you leave or when you arrive back home, you have to ignore mm-hmm. her. So mm-hmm. those kind of steps we have to work on. And then also s- some of those practice cues. You know, we have to, you know, the departure of you leaving the house sets off anxiety in her. So things like, you know, grabbing your purse, grabbing your keys, walking out the door, all of those things build up towards more and more anxiety. So if mm-hmm. we're not practicing those um, cues and... What do you say practicing? You mean like... Uh, Picking up the keys and not leaving or something? Yeah. So when we first work with um, behavior modification, we have to basically act like you're going to leave, but don't. And we do that. I usually recommend people do that two to four times a day. So you don't have to do it constantly, but it basically means that, you know, for the rest of the day, you're going to have problems. But we want to really practice that. So, you know, you pick up your purse, you put on your jacket, you tie your shoes, and then you go sit on the couch. Or you go in the kitchen and you do dishes. And you don't pay any attention to the dog during this because in many cases they're going to start getting anxious you're going to start seeing that panting pacing you ignore the dog um, when they're behaving in an anxious manner so you practice those cues and eventually if you have a calm relaxed dog then you move up to where you actually walk out the door with um, those types of triggers Um, but those are those are steps that (laughs) doesn't it's not immediately it takes a lot of work and a lot of practice is she crated or do i leave her loose when she when i'm doing this well, that's the problem, is if you cannot safely keep her in the home without her causing major destruction, sometimes crating is a necessary step. But whether you have a pet sitter or not, the very important thing is to keep the pet stimulated and keep them entertained. Um, so I've had a dog where the dog used to eat through drywall um, in the owner's home unless they can find it. And then they can find it in the crate, and it would break its teeth and actually lacerate its gums trying to get out. So there was no solution of confinement or leaving it in the home alone. They had to take that dog to daycare. And that was really the only viable solution in that type of situation. So sometimes you have to look at things and find the lesser of the, the evils. But um, for me, yeah. if you can go for the constant supervision, it would be the best best uh, step there. When you uh, start training them, like retraining them by practicing, how long does it take? You say it takes a long time, like a week, a month, <laughs> it's a, three months? It, 
This depends upon consistency and practice. So if it's only practice once a day, mm-hmm. you know, you may not ever get there. Um, if it's something done consistently, and that's the other thing, all family members or all people in the household have to be on board with the kind of steps that we're talking about. And we also need to make sure we're, we're training the dog to be calm. So we don't tell them what we don't want them to do. We want to show them what we want them to do. So when you get ready to leave, we want to teach them a nice quiet spot where they can be calm and you reward that calmness for going to pillow or go to your place. I hope that helps you, Pauline, a little bit. Thank you. You know, I actually get separation anxiety like when my pet leaves or or goes into another room and I miss my pet. (laughs) I have clients and we we joke about that. There are clients that have separation anxiety from their pets. I have that too, but but it's reverse. Usually when, when my wife comes home, I get I get anxiety, and when she leaves, um, I, I lose the anxiety. Oh. Joey, I'm going to tell her. <laughs> If Ernest Hemingway was alive today, would he say this to you? Shakespeare, Mark Twain, Edgar Allan Poe, all great writers. And after reading your book, I simply must add you to the list. Wait, you don't have a book yet. So make a free call to Page Publishing. Turn your book idea into publishing gold. 800-215-6815. 800-215-6815. That's 800-215-6815. This is an Animal Radio News Update. I'm Tammy Trujillo. We've had stories on the show about how hard it is to find an apartment or a house to rent if you have pets. Now, that could actually change in the near future in the city of Berkeley in Northern California. A city councilman there, Jesse Eriquin, is talking about trying to get rid of no-pet policies. His proposal would reportedly require landlords to accept renters with cats, dogs, or other small house pets, everything from rabbits to reptiles, as long as the pets are well-behaved and don't disturb the other renters. Their proposal could require, and they're still putting this thing together, it could require renters to get pet insurance and take care of any property damage caused by their animals, even if it exceeds the amount of their security deposit. Eriquin's office says the measure is partly the result of all the confusion over the rules concerning emotional support animals, not just service animals for people with disabilities, but the current trend of people whose doctors say they need a pet to help with conditions like anxiety. If this thing goes through, it would be the first of its kind in the nation. Meanwhile, most landlords who allow pets do insist on the pet deposit. We know that. But many are now starting to charge a monthly pet rent. Now, this is anything from 10 to $50 a month. Apartments.com did a survey, and 29% of the people who use their service said they are paying that monthly fee to have their pets, and that's up 20% from last year. Well, if you're into classic Hollywood like I am, you know who Joan Fontaine was. The Academy Award-winning actress died at the age of 96. She's not going to be forgotten soon by animal lovers. Proceeds from the sale of her fantastic home up in Carmel, California, will go to the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals in Monterey County, as well as a sale of all its contents, and that includes the Oscar she won for her role in Alfred Hitchcock's 1941 film, Classic Suspicion. That could bring $300,000 alone when it's auctioned by Christie's next month. I'm Tammy Trujillo. Get more breaking animal news anytime at AnimalRadio.com. This has been an Animal Radio News Update. Get more at AnimalRadio.com. Dogs or cats, horse or emu, animals are people too. You know what they say, if you don't vote, you can't complain. Well... 
Don't tell that to Toby. A New Zealand dog owner got in a lot of trouble for filling out a voter registration form for Toby, his Jack Russell Terrier. Peter Rhodes of Queenstown says he was just trying to make a point about government bureaucracy. But the bureaucrats aren't laughing. A local official said Rhodes may face criminal charges for voter fraud, even though Toby didn't even vote in the recent national election. Toby signed his voter's registration form with a paw print, and his occupation was listed as rodent exterminator. I'm Britt Savage for Animal Radio. Animals are people too. Animal Radio. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now with the free Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. You're going to love this story. It's kind of a heartwarming story. We welcome to the show John Dwyer. Hi, John. How are you? Joe Dwyer. Uh, Joe Dwyer. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me on. Tell us a little bit about Daniel. Who is uh, Daniel? Daniel's a, an absolutely incredible story. In October, he was placed in a gas chamber, unfortunately. He's with- a dog, right? Yes, he is, with 17 other dogs, and unfortunately, although the others did not make it that day, Daniel did, being one of only two dogs ever to have survived the gas chamber where others did not. Mm -hmm. And he instantly became a celebrity and someone who does a a world of good for a lot of people and animals. So let me get the story straight. He was being euthanized, and there's some states, archaic states, that still use the gas chamber to euthanize animals, and apparently he made it through the gas chamber, is what you're saying? Yes, and there are still 20 states in our nation, 20 to 22 states, I should say, that still use the gas chamber, so that's a little less than half. We've had influence in several of the states since Daniel has survived to ban it, but we obviously have a ways to go, and we're still working on that. But yes, he did survive miraculously, and he was named Daniel immediately after the biblical figure that survived the gas chamber, and we were lucky to adopt him here in New Jersey, and he's been doing wonderful things ever since. I'm just scratching my head. Dr. Debbie, how does that happen? Well, you know, there's certain rules that are in place for places that use that. And and I'd have to say that even though they may have a gas chamber on file is being used, um, I think most states' um, injection methods are by far preferred as a method of consistent euthanasia that's pain-free. But when when some of the different gases are used, um, some of the things that have to be done, there has to be a certain limit to the number of patients or animals in the chamber, and if there's too crowded, then there won't be even air exchange. So you can get pockets where you don't have as much gas as other areas. And the other thing is that certain gases have different um, almost like, you know, how hot air rises and, and cold air settles. Some gases do the same thing, and you can have different um, concentrations at very variable um, elevations in the, in, in the chamber. So um, there's, and certainly if there's leaks or things like that, so um, there, there's a lot of variables that you could look at, and, and that's that's why I think most mm. most places would say that that's a not, not a favorable way of providing a, what we call a good death. That's what euthanasia does mean. So, so Joe, where is Daniel now? Daniel's right here in my home. You adopted Daniel. Yes, I did. I adopted Daniel. In Nutley, New Jersey. Nutley, New Jersey, exactly. We are about 10 miles due east of New York City, so we're in northern New Jersey, and we enjoy many good events to promote adoption, spay and neuter, and uh, wonderful acts of compassion. And actually, my most notable thing that I do with Daniel is to take him to schools to try to educate our youth, 
using his story of surviving the toxic gas chamber. I try to relate that to the emotional toxins that a lot of our high school students have and then also get them interested in doing the right thing for animals. Emotional toxins like? Like comparing to others, like uh, bullying, uh, things that our teenage students throughout our country deal with today, uh, peer pressure, the you know pressures to succeed, and relating it to Daniel's story is a, is a good way to get across to these students. And I've found some great success doing so. And then, obviously, they're captivated with his story because it, it truly is a miracle. Uh, the other ones didn't make it, and he did. And that, to this day, my best answer to that is he was meant to live. Certainly. What made you adopt him? Well, it was a very great story. He was brought from Alabama, where this took place, to New Jersey by 11th Hour Rescue, a active rescue group here in New Jersey. I was helping them with some consulting for a new facility they were building uh, to do some fundraising. And they told me about Daniel's story. And as a motivational speaker, I was helping them get some points out in the thought that he might have a little bit of fame to his uh, surviving story. And uh, adoption fell through, and there was many adopters out there. And we met their criteria. He came and met with our four other rescues at the time here in our home. Everyone got along really well. And the next, as the saying goes, the rest is history. Wow. uh, Your mission to get these states, these 31 states, you said 22 or is it 31? How many of these? There's still 22 that use the gas chamber throughout our country. Okay, you're trying to get them to, or at least get legislation started for banning inhumane forms of euthanasia. Other than gas, what are the inhumane ways that still exist? I would say the gas chamber has to be one of the most barbaric. And, you know, what I try to influence as much as we can with legislators is that it really doesn't speak to a, a compassionate society. We had a tremendous impact in helping Senator Andy Dinneman in Pennsylvania once Daniel survived getting it barred and banned in the state of Pennsylvania, found out that actually it costs less per animal for humane euthanasia with a sedative than it does to operate the gas chamber. Uh, I would say the other terrible forms are heart sticks uh, that are, are used also in many areas of the country. Uh, those are the probably the worst two that come to mind. What is and, a, heart and a heart stick? A heart stick on an awake animal. Like we should clarify that because um, um, a heart stick on an unconscious um, or anesthetized animal is a legitimate form of euthanasia yep. because they're already not they're not feeling anything and they're not aware. But doing that on an awake pet would be um, creating you know anxiety, undue pain, and uh, just not not approved. Mm. What is it? A heart stick is a, a, basically an injection that we would normally give in the vein um, as a euthanasia drug is given directly in the heart. Oof. And the, the reasons that might be done is we might have a very small creature like wildlife um, will we'll commonly have to do with a heart stick because they're so small. So we put them under gas and then we do a heart stick. Um, or if the pa- patient was just really dehydrated or really debilitated and you just can't get a vein that's really consistent, that it is, um, you know, it is necessary. And if they're unconscious, it, it's a very uh, humane way. Hmm. Is there anything uh, listeners can do to help you with your crusade? Well, I, I would say the most important thing that can be done is is to continue to educate. One thing that I've really come to realize since Daniel has come to live with us, we had the pleasure of being in the Rose Parade this past year with the Lucy Pet Foundation out there in California, where you are, across the country, who is promoting low-cost spay and neuter. And his story got a lot of coverage during that time frame. There there are really a lot of people uh, that are not aware that 
what goes on in our country with the use of the gas chamber, uh, the need for adoptions, all, all the issues that ha- that lead to the 80,000 or so animals that unfortunately lose their life each week in our country. I would say just continuing to educate yourself on what the issues are and continue to really encourage people to adopt. These animals come into your life and they they enrich your life. And uh, there's many out there like Daniel who are waiting for a good home. Good words. Joe Dwyer, our Hero of the Week. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having us on. And this is another great way to get the word out. So we appreciate the opportunity. How would you like to save money on nearly all your prescription drugs? We've set up a special toll-free number for the RX Outreach Program. They're a nonprofit company whose mission it is to make prescription drugs more affordable to the masses. They don't take insurance, and in many cases, your prescriptions are even cheaper than your co-pays. They carry thousands of different prescription drugs, so whatever you're taking, there's a good chance they have it. No coupons are required, and this is not a discount card. It is pure savings on your prescription drugs. They specialize in generic meds for any chronic health needs you have. Call with your prescription and find out for free how little you can pay for your prescription drugs. Remember, we don't take insurance, so call right now. 800-689-0143-800-689-0143-800-689-0143. That's 800-689-0143. Hi, this is Joy Behar on Animal Radio. Please stay and neuter your pets. You're listening to Animal Radio. If you missed any part of today's show, visit us at AnimalRadio.com or download the Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. Hey, Roger. How are you today? Good. How are you doing? Pretty good. Trying to get home. Where's home? Say, uh, Grand Island, Nebraska. Nebraska. Okay. How can we help you today? Uh, I called a couple weeks ago and told you about my my four-legged heroes. Well, one of my heroes... Has a has a problem. Actually, both of them do. But uh, the one I want to address right now is a cat. Um, we have our computer in the living room, and we have our office chair there. And the old one, he just shredded it from his paws, you know, digging in. And oh, yeah. uh, we bought a new chair, and we're trying to keep him away from it. I even gave him the old chair and put it in a room where he sleeps all the time. And that doesn't even do any good. He still likes that new chair. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, he- something we could do different. Well, you give him a brand new chair. That's he's thanking you, <laughs> and, and that's not unusual. Is I've had that happen before, where people will, you know, get a whole new couch. They put a new one in there, and the kitty does the same behavior because it's still the same uh, place. It's the same behavior. So nothing in his world has changed. So the challenge is to try to train the kitty to not use the chair as the preferred spot. So um, this is where. Um, have you ever used a scratching post for him? Uh, I have put other things up there for him to scratch on. He still likes the chair. Yeah, preference there. Well, there's some things we can do. And the tough thing with cats on scratching on things, we can't always do a negative deterrent. Um, We don't want to yell at them. We don't want them to see us reprimand them because then they've associated that with us and they're not associating it with the behavior. So um, we really focus on uh, positive reinforcement and then just blocking the area and cutting off access. So as positive reinforcement, that's where we get the alternate site. We get a 
uh, scratching post or a kitty condo. We feed the kitty there. We throw treats. We throw catnip there. We make that a very good spot. And if you have to, you put it next to that chair or you put it somewhere where he can still see it in the environment that he wants to scratch. Because scratching is a marking behavior. It's a way that kitties in a social environment spread their scent and basically say, all is good. This is my house. They don't realize they're being destructive in the world. So we want to give him that outlet. We want to train him to that positively, make it a good thing. And then at the same time, then we can try some tips to try to keep him away from that office chair that you don't want him to use. And everybody has their different preferences. Um, I've had some clients that have great success with the double-sided tape. Um, sticky paws, which is a particular type of that. You put on the area, and it just kind of feels uncomfortable for the kitty. It doesn't really hurt them, um, but that can be very useful. Um, as far as you can always cover the chair with something so it feels different to the touch, because cats love the feel when they're scratching, and that's really what attracts them to that area. So if you cover the chair, at least the part he can access with uh, aluminum foil or even just a plastic wrap, it's going to feel different to him, and he, he may not have that same draw to want to scratch on that. And uh, you can use like the spray bottle method. Uh, I have some clients that swear that's the best thing, but you just, the cat cannot see you direct the spray bottle or the squirt bottle at the kitty or, you know, the game is off and, and now that they're just afraid of you and they think you're going to chase them. Yeah. So th- okay. those are some good things. And so you can look into some other... Would you get? What kind of a What's spray that? would you get? Oh, just what a little water mister. Um, oh, really? A water mister, or you can get a squirt gun, just a small, you know, don't get out the super soaker squirt guns. There's no reason to, you know, totally soak the kitty. Uh, but, don't um, use the so- those- super soaker anymore, Judy. you got to put that away. That yeah. was oh, okay. par- apparently too much. <laughs> Yeah, fire hose is too much. Yes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But, you know, then there's some other things. Um, and some people have some good success with some of the compressed air um, items that are used for training cats. If you try to keep them off of couches or counters, there's these little containers that you can buy on the Internet and pet catalogs and so forth that when the pet goes by a certain area, it gives a puff of this compressed air like you're cleaning your your computer keyboard. And they don't like the sound of it. It doesn't hurt them. But you can set that up strategically in the area you don't want the kitty to go right by that chair and that can be another training tool that doesn't hurt and and it associates the kitty associates the area with something they're supposed to avoid so that might be another thing i'd try for you and get yourself a scratching post and teach them the right place to go you know what we did is we took our cats and we just uh, uh actually held their claws up to the scratching post and, and rubbed it on the scratching post so they get their scent on it and mm-hmm. they just went from our couch right to the scratching post and it was really I don't know were we lucky I don't know because you hear about this problem we know that you cannot declaw this will cause all kinds of other problems and I I don't want to go that way with this but you know another trick I found is to put their bed by the scratching post because the first thing a cat does when he wakes up is wants to scratch wants to do a little stretch and you know what they need to scratch and stretch this is a whole this is a part of their lifestyle the other thing Mm -hmm. of course if you can afford it cement furniture works very well (laughs) Hey, there you go. Um, but I don't have no problem with him getting up and scratching because even I'm gone, he sleeps on my side of the bed. Uh, sleeps on my pillow. So He's replacing you. That's what he's doing. <laughs> yeah. He loves it when I get home and takes a nap. He curls up right beside me close to him, get to me, and he'll take a nap with me. So, I appreciate it. 
Well, my pleasure, and it, uh, good luck with that, and uh, you know, give them a hug and a nice little scratch behind those ears for us. Tammy, what are you working on this hour? Well, you know, therapy dogs, we all know how valuable they can be. And a new study was done to see how they might fit into the college scene to help students with anxiety over, you know, classes and tests and what have you. So we have the results of that study, but we have the results of a second study that checks out how therapy dogs stress out about being therapy dogs. Do they or don't they? And how we can make it a good experience for them at the same time that they're helping us out. You never think about that, do you? (laughs) Exactly. Okay, well, we'll find out more in just a few minutes right here on Animal Radio. Let's hit the phones. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now with the free Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. If you're living with diabetes and using insulin, you know the pain of pricking your fingers over and over again. Ouch! Well, by wearing a small remote device called a continuous glucose monitor, or CGM, you can reduce the pain of pricking your fingers. If you administer insulin three or more times per day or use an insulin pump, call now and learn how a CGM can help you. Painless. No more pricking my finger. No finger pricks. Convenience. They delivered it free and they took care of all the paperwork. You can reduce pain right away. Plus, it's accurate, easy to use, and helps you spend more time in range. And if you have insurance, you can get a new CGM at little or no out-of-pocket cost. Call now and get free shipping of your new CGM. Plus, we'll bill your insurance for you. 800-785-1673. 800-785-1673. 800-785-1673. That's 800-785-1673. Celebrating the connection with our pets, this is Animal Radio, featuring your dream team, veterinarian Dr. Debbie White and groomer Joey Villani. And here are your hosts, Hal Abrams and Judy Francis. Uh, This hour, Charlotte Ross, actress Charlotte Ross, uh, most notably from Glee. At least that's where I know her from, although Joey says he's seen her on NYPD Blue. Uh, She was also in Nashville and... um, I believe she has a new show on the CW, which is a network for those of you that... Get the CW. Get the CW. I don't personally, so I I may. I don't know. I don't watch. I don't think I have anything on the CW that I watch. But I'll be watching her now because she's a hottie. She and I go way back. Oh, yeah. How? I just, I call her Char Char. We understand. Is that what you call her? Char Char? Char Char. Uh, Right now, oh, this is really cool. This is so needed, too. We uh, welcome back to the uh, Airwaves Jackson Galaxy. Hey, buddy. How you doing? Hey, guys. So I dig the new book, and it's, uh, let me tell listeners about it. I'll hold it up to the microphone so they can see the pictures on the front. But there's never been a book that tells you how to pimp out your house for the cats, <laughs> to make the house perfect for your cats, because, you know, they need a lot of intellectual stimulation. They like high places. You have probably the ultimate book on just all kinds of furniture things that you can put together for the house. It's called Catification, Designing a Happy and Stylish Home for Your Cat and You. It's kind of like a do-it-yourself book. If you could see me now, I am bowing to you, Jackson. I am bowing because (laughs) we needed this. Well, you know, the thing is, if I I had to retrace 20 years of going to people's houses, you know, every time I say what you've said, you know, they need to go up in high places. They need to scout out the world in a safe way. They need to get away from one another. You've got to put out more litter boxes, whatever it is. There's always that resistance because I think at, at, at the bottom of it is that, that thought that if you do anything environmentally for your cat, suddenly you're a crazy cat lady, you know, and, and, <laughs> and we wanted to prove that 
you can do it without for one second sacrificing your own aesthetic, which I'm sure you're seeing in the book. And, and, and you can do it for very little money. You can do it for a lot of money. You can do it for a little work or a lot of work. But basically, there's no excuse uh, to, you know, it, it, to not make your house attractive to the cat. What if you, if you rent? Are there things you can kind of temporarily do so you're not putting holes in the wall and destroying your landlord's property? Absolutely. I mean, if you, if, one of the things you might not think about is that we've done over 100 cases alone on My Cat from Hell, and many, many, many of those uh, are rented properties. And we ran into that over and over and over again where I'd come up with something incredibly complex, and they'd say, well, yeah, but we can't drill into the wall. And so, yeah, a lot of the projects in the book uh, cater just to that. Because, again, you know, it, it's, it's a matter of when we talk about this thing called the cat superhighway, where your cat wants to, you know, go from the couch up to the bookcase, up to the mantle, <laughs> and, and around the room without touching the ground, uh-huh. you can create that without putting a thing into the wall. There might be listeners, new listeners with new kitties that might be saying, well, I got them their bowl and I got them their litter. What what, what do they need that what for? Else? I thought they, these guys are solitary animals, low maintenance. Sleep do, all day. Yeah. Why do I need to make anything for them? Well, you know, I, and part of what I do is, is educate what cats really are. For instance, you know, one of the things you just said, that cats sleep all day. We think they do. In reality, one study showed that they spend more time looking out the window than they do sleeping. So if that's something they do, why not engage them even when they're in that passive state? Because the thing is that when you get home, at some point you're going to pay the price for that sort of, you know, sedentary nature. You know, they're, they're going to beat up on another cat. They're going to mark somewhere because they've got all that sort of built-up static electricity in their body. So, you know, what I'm saying is don't wait till something goes wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, educate yourself about what cats actually are, that they're just these incredibly bright and, 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 and active hunters, and if we environmentally build things up for them, then we're just heading a lot of problems off the path. See, we have a door dasher that gets so bored, he just wants out to see what's in the outside world. We should have a cattery for that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No. Well, don't you think that a lot of times, you know, I, I, I work in a practice with dogs, cats, and all sorts of critters, and a lot of people, I think, mistakenly think you can turn a cat into a dog just kind of by just giving the things that dogs like. Um, so I find a lot of frustration. I don't know if you encounter that where people just try to discipline them like a dog or ask them to behave like one. Right, exactly. No, and it's, it's, it's epidemic. I mean, it's, you know, the thing is that we want that because we get dogs. We understand what their body language is all about. We have trained that into them over hundreds of thousands of years. We, we get it, and we don't get cats as, as a culture. And, of course, that's part of my job is to get everyone to get cats. But in the meantime, we just try to put them, you know, <laughs> put the, you know, the cat-shaped pig in the dog-shaped hole, you know, and, and it doesn't work. And, and mm-hmm. everyone will find that out, and hopefully, you know, again, by education, you're not going to wind up getting frustrated because your cat's a cat. We are with Jackson Galaxy. The book is called Catification, Designing a Happy and Stylish Home for Your Cat and You. And I'm looking on page 46, and I'm, I'm seeing that there's cat geometry, apparently. The, uh, I guess when the cats yeah. enter a room, they, they look around. What, tell me, what's that, what's that all about? Cat geometry, I also call it cat chess. That, you know, when, especially in a multi-cat home, when one cat walks in the room, they're looking at every move they can possibly make. Where are the escape routes? Where are the, the, the ambush points? Where are the hot zones in the room? And the one who tends to beat up on the other cats is working towards checkmate the entire time, kind of cut off angles. They, 
they work <laughs> this stuff out within a blink of an eye. And again, by giving them that cat superhighway, right, by giving them exit routes, by giving them perching places, you're cutting off all of that negative cat geometry and all of that cat chess. Because that one predatory cat can't cover all bases, so the cat's going to have an escape route. Exactly. Yeah, well, buddy, you can't own everything. Yeah. You know, not at the same time. Anyway. You will have to check out the pictures in this book. I'm telling you to pick it up right now. The pictures will give you some great ideas. I have some great ideas from just looking at this. It's a well-done book, by the way. I've got nice. to tell you that. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. it's Thank you very much. It's, uh, it takes a couple of things to put out a great book, obviously, uh, great content. But when it looks like this, as sharp with great ideas and all the details so that you can figure out how to catify your house, you want to pick it up. I have nine copies to give away. Oh, wait, we had ten, Hal. I'm sorry. <laughs> If you're not lucky enough to get through, head on over to Amazon or wherever you get your books and look for Catification by Jackson Galaxy. And is Kate your wife, Kate Benjamin? Is she your wife, girlfriend? No, no, no. Kate is. I do have a wife, but that's not Kate. Okay, I, I heard um, and, the wild uh, rumor. Kate and I have been. No, no, no. We, we've been working together for a couple of years now. Kate it refers to herself as a as a cat style expert. So believe me, I needed that. I needed. I, I'm really good at the function, but at the end of the day, I am a guy. And I needed somebody who would help us <laughs> and that's Kate. And you're mature enough to admit that. I couldn't do that, but very good. Yes, Jack- and Jackson and his wife got married at Best Friends. Oh, they did? Yes, Ooh, they good did. Good old Best Friends. Yes, we did. Yes. Fun yeah, place we, out. We just got married there during the summer. I decided when, you know, I've been out there to, to is, was it Angel's Rest, where they have the cemetery for the cats, for the cats and dogs. Yes. You know, the, right. well, different animals, too. Right. But, but when... When I pass away, I want to have my ashes scattered over that cemetery. Really? I just think that's beautiful. Have back you there told your husband about that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's honest. It's one of the most magical places in the world. I encourage everybody to it you know, is. take a weekend, go out there, and, and you recharge your batteries as you work with the animals there, as you take care of them. And I'm not even joking about it. There's something, when you go into that canyon, that you just unplug. And yeah. it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. You come out of that canyon different from when you went in. Yeah. Everybody should do that once. Yes. Well, Jackson, thanks for hanging Absolutely. with us today. Good luck on the book. It's really an awesome book. Thanks for making it happen. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much. Take care of yourself. All righty. Bye-bye. Bye. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm having the great honor of presenting to you the dog father, Joey Villani. Well, last week, um, actually it wasn't last week. It was, no, it was last week. Um, I got um, yelled at. I freelance, as you guys know, in a bunch of different salons. You got salons. yelled at. Usually when I'm there. Who would yell Usually at you? Usually when I'm there, Someone with I kind a death of... Wish. I kinda, you know, take oh well, she was um, you know, who I gotta say was she, and um, you know, she was she was um old enough to be my mom, so I had to sit there and take it. But <laughs> what happens is coming into the holiday season, okay, which usually starts around the second week of December, is everybody wants to get their pets in to be groomed. The big problem is they don't want to they want to stretch it out, so they don't want to have their pets groomed now through the month of November, so they'll put it off so they can have it done for the holidays. Now, that's the biggest mistake that you can do at this point because groomers look at this. This is a big part of their season is, is the month of December because usually January um, quiets down because everything slows down. People don't have the money and, you know, kids go back to school after having their winter holiday and all that. So the smart thing to do is this. Have your pets groomed real well now in November. Okay, so you stretch it out. So what I would say is, is have your pets groomed right before Thanksgiving. And then when they go in December, most groomers don't like to do heavy haircuts. They do 
grooming touch-ups. You are the perfect candidate now for me to give you that appointment because I can get you in, I can get you out real quick. And what happens is, is you're able to service a lot more clients to keep people happy. The good thing about it is this. Number one, you stay with the same groomer that your pet is um, happy with. And in a lot of cases, there's a lot of injuries during the holidays because then people start going to other places where dogs aren't used to and cats aren't used to, or maybe they're just not as good as the um, you know professional that you're working with. So have them done in November, get that holiday touch-up in December, and just continue on schedule, and you'll be real happy. But if you try to push it, you may not get in, and that's just how it is. There's not enough groomers to go around. Good advice. Avoid the grooming rush and get in early and uh, do it a few times. You know, it's it's funny. It's something that you would think is so silly, but if you are that person that wants that December um, holiday appointment and you can't get in, you know what? You will curse me out. You'll curse me out up and down. And you, the sad part about it is you usually come back and, you know, your tail between your legs. But um, it's happened, and it's happened many times. But what did the lady sound like? What do you mean you can't give me a holiday appointment for December? I, I, I'm booking it now. It's, 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 the be, it's the end of October. It's the beginning of November. You can't give me an appointment now? You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now with the free Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. Well, this portion of Animal Radio is underwritten by Fear Free Happy Homes. Don't forget you can get your fix of Animal Radio anytime you want with the Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. It's made possible by Fear Free Happy Homes. Helping your pets live their happiest, healthiest, fullest lives at home at the vet and everywhere in between. Thanks, Fear Free, for underwriting Animal Radio. Hi, this is Dean Koontz on Animal Radio. Please stay and neuter your pet. Life can be full of risks. One thing you shouldn't take a risk with ever is your family's health insurance. If you're self-employed or you now need affordable health insurance, you need to make this free call right now and see how the health insurance helpline can help you get it. 800-472-0658. 800-472-0658. That's 800-472-0658. Hey, everybody, this is Kenny Lee Lewis from the Steve Miller Band. Just want to tell everybody out there on Animal Radio, thanks for loving your pets. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now with the free Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. Coming up in just a few minutes, actress Charlotte Ross fills out the schedule for our accidental season of the stars. Which uh, started with Joyce DeWitt. Uh-huh. Uh, next weekend, perhaps Lori Morgan and Hillary Swank looking uh, looking good. She is a hottie. Down boy. So, uh, well, so is Charlotte. Let's go to Thomas first. Hey, Thomas, how are you? Okay, I'm good. How are you? How are the doctors today? How are you guys? Good. Yeah, we have a five-year-old Bomberanian, and she scratches on Not all the time, but what's a good shampoo to use on her? It depends on the situation. I mean, yeah. does she have fleas? Does she yeah, have... Um, they're, hard, they're hard to get off. And, and what have you been using? We've been using Johnson's Baby Shampoo. Well, that's that's unfortunately not going to kill your fleas, though. Um, uh-huh. That's 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 the only problem. I mean, do you have do you have a situation where you cannot use um, any type of flea products on your pet? Uh, what would be safe? 
Well, there's a lot of good um, shampoos that are out there in, in, your, in, in your local pet store with um, tea tree and pyrethrins um, that you could use. Um, but, you know, if, if you're having a major flea problem, I would probably go to a professional first um, professional, to, get them uh, off of your, to get them off of your dog. But the important thing is, is that you also treat the environment, the house, right. the bedding, the car, everywhere that the pet is. Because what happens is if you're just going to use the general flea shampoo, well, it's not going to leave any protection on your pet. Um, Frontline seems to be um, safe for a lot of pets, but then there's some pets that get reactions to it. And the other thing is you got to watch because a lot of times the dogs are allergic to the flea bite, and they can get a um, you know a dermatitis um, as well. And that's something I'll let you know Dr. Deb talk a little bit more about yeah. because that's that's more of her area. I, okay. And I'm going to say you know itching in general, you know it could certainly be the fleas, but there are a vast majority. There's many other causes of itchiness in pets, and I've seen people that use flea products on dogs as a way to treat an itch that really isn't flea-driven. Okay. So, I've heard that uh, lemon juice is okay to use for the kids. Does that work somewhat? No. I, no, lemon I, juice never, doesn't work at all. No. As, as far as to treat the fleas, Joey's right. You know, We need to get in a comprehensive flea control program. So if you've uh-huh. got a flea problem, we need to be treating uh-huh. the pet and the environment. So um, I do not advocate using dis- dish soap um, uh-huh. or lemon juice as a way to treat that. So uh-huh. that's one part of things. But your pet could certainly be itching for other things, whether they be allergies or skin right. disease. And um, there's a lot of different types of medicated shampoos that we might use to help with those type of problems. Um, and I was just going to give the example of a pet that actually had uh, would be the equivalent to eczema in dogs. It actually had a dry skin condition and a family was actually just you know kept using types of flea products on the dog to try to stop the itch and it was really kind of throwing the wrong product at the dog and it did nothing it actually exacerbated its its skin. So that's where seeing a groomer professionally is very important but see that veterinarian and make sure that we are effectively treating your pet with um, comprehensive flea control and other skin diseases. Normally it's frontline correct? Well, that's one of the you know the main um, products, Frontline Plus. Um, it also has um, not just the adulticide, but an insect growth regulator. So it kills the adults, but it also kills the next generation. Um, but there's other you know wonderful products out there as well, and it just depends on what your veterinarian's most comfortable with in your area, and you know potentially you know concerns. Some people have had great experiences with one product. Um, some may have had a, a bad experience with another. Okay. Um, but the vast majority are you know proven proof. There is proof that they're safe and efficacious. There's a quick, easy method to see if your your pet has fleas. And what you could do is is if you get a a paper towel and you spray it down with some alcohol and just um, stand your, your dog over it and just run your hand through the coat. Now, if the dog has fleas, Uh-oh. most likely what will happen is is the flea dirt, which is what the fleas leave behind. It's basically right. dried blood. If, if there's any type of flea dirt, it's going to fall down onto the paper yeah. towel. And if you see what, what looks like, you know, what blood, um, that is the, um, the dried blood that's rehydrated. And then you okay. know most likely your pet has fleas or had fleas on them and that was left behind. Because, again, one flea bite to a dog that's allergic right. – that dog could scratch and scratch and scratch and not have a flea on it. So that's why Dr. Deb is, um, is, is, is totally right that just, you know, if your dog is scratching and you're not seeing anything, bring it to the veterinarian because it could be something that's real minor that could turn into something very serious because the pet is going to continue to scratch and irritate it and cause an infection.
Joey, yeah. and just to be clear, make, making sure he's understanding, we're not advocating pouring rubbing alcohol on the pet to treat the fleas. He's he's suggesting this to diagnose if you can't no, see fleas. No, this is to diagnose if they have it, uh, okay. if they have fleas. And, you know, the same right. thing, I know you brought up dish detergent. Now, dish detergent in a pinch is a degreaser that will kill fleas. It's uh, not really recommended. It's, it's, it's no. like a last resort type of thing. But, again, right. you want to make sure your pet has fleas first before you're uh-huh. doing this. Okay. Okay. Thanks so much. Thank you for your call today. Thank you. What is the craziest thing, Joey, that you've heard of someone doing in the name of trying to kill fleas? Um, like I've had people pour the, like, oil, uh, oil, or like um, like engine oil. Is that what they use? Engine oil. Yes. Yes. I've had Some that. Kind of- I've had that. I don't know where that um actually came up. And and they brought the dog in, and the dog was covered in in motor oil. And this was years ago. Um and um. I, I got to tell you, getting the motor oil out out of the dog ended up killing all the fleas because we had to use a you know heavy degreaser, so that ended up killing all the fleas anyway. But it was um it was bad. We, we you know and 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 you could tell the dog was a little lethargic from it. We um you know made them take take him to the vet immediately after the grooming. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now with the free Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. This is Jane Lynch on Animal Radio. Please spay and neuter your animal. Spay or neuter. Let me say that again. You don't want to do both. Spay or neuter. Let me say it again. Can I do that? You can do whatever you want. Oh, God bless. I'm going to try it one more time. Hi, this is Jane Lynch on Animal Radio. Please spay or neuter your animal. I love it. You do so good early in the morning. I, I, my I'm so fascinated right now, can I tell you? I'm yeah. barely holding it together. Uh, you're awesome. <laughs> Happy Holidays from your friends at Fido Friendly Magazine. The fall-winter issue is available now for your dog to sniff out all the great Fido Friendly hotels and great products to set all tails wagging. This is the must-have issue of the year, so subscribe today at FidoFriendly.com with code HONEY and get a 15% discount. Make this a gift for an additional $10 for your Fido-loving friends and have a Fido-fabulous holiday. This is an Animal Radio News Update. I'm Tammy Trujillo. I sure wish they had come up with this when I was in college. Animal-assisted therapy can reduce symptoms of anxiety and loneliness among college students. That's a result of a study done by researchers from Georgia State University, Idaho State University, and the Savannah College of Art and Design. Now, they provided a therapy dog, Sophie, to students twice weekly during the study. And the students could interact with her for as long as two hours. They got to pet her, hug her, feed her, brush her, draw pictures of her, take pictures of her, sit near her, play fetch with her, pretty much anything. Researchers found a 60% decrease in self-reported anxiety and loneliness symptoms following sessions with Sophie. This is one of the first studies to apply animal-assisted therapy in a group, college setting, and use a systematic form of measurement. And it suggests that animals can be a good way for college counseling centers to help students. Okay, so what about the stress on the therapy dog? Now, this is something totally different. Another study looked at that. Scientists at the Vet Medini Vienna College investigated how therapy dogs feel in a therapy setting and how to create a largely stress-free situation for them. The keys turned out to be whether the dogs were on a leash or not, whether they could leave the room at any time if they wanted, and if they were provided water that they could get to when they wanted. The current study shows that under those conditions, the dog's stress levels did not go up, and those results were published in the Journal of Veterinary Behavior. 
Anytime I take a vacation, no matter how much fun it is, I always end up missing my pets. And it turns out that most of us do. A survey by the website What If said that 10% of pet guardians who leave their pets at home call them to talk to them on the phone. 4% send their pets postcards. And 23% bring their pets back a souvenir from the trip. That's what I do. Hey, I FaceTime my pets. I don't know if anybody else does. Do they answer? Do they actually answer? You know what? Because I'm always on the road and and Elaine is home. So, I mean, you know, if you go on FaceTime, say hello to the dogs, the bird, you know. I mean, not that they know even what the hell's going on, but, you know, it makes you feel better. Oh, I bet they do. Oh, yeah. At least they they hear your voice. They hear your voice. More than four out of ten people can't leave the pets at home, and they take them on vacation with them. And it's not just the cats and dogs that get to go. But according to this survey, birds, rabbits, reptiles, and even fish are going on vacations as well. I'm Tammy Trujillo. Get more breaking animal news anytime at AnimalRadio.com. This has been an Animal Radio News Update. Get more at AnimalRadio.com. You're listening to Animal Radio. If you missed any part of today's show, visit us at AnimalRadio.com or download the Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. Dr. Debbie answering your vet medical questions and dog father Joey Volani. Don't forget you can ask those questions on the Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. It's a free download. You can listen to past shows. You know who's on now? Charlotte Ross is joining us. Hi. Hi, Charlotte. How are you doing? Hi. How are you? Oh, I'm all on Twitter. Okay, Hal. Calm down. <laughs> uh, thank you for that intro. I'm very well, flattered. Well, now I understand that you're uh, working with the animals. and What's going on? Oh, I've been an animal activist for years. I've just, ever since I was a little girl, I've had this dream of trying to help any way I can, you know, being a voice for the voiceless. And the more I educated myself, the more, you know, active I got. And I think there's so many wonderful organizations out there. And I think Best Friends is absolutely one of them. I think they're just leading the charge and being a no-kill shelter, trying to get the United States to be no-kill, which I'm sure is everybody's dream, you know. I mean, now 9,000 a year, <clears throat> excuse me, put down in L.A. alone each year. So it's just... As we all know, it's so it's so tragic and archaic, and they really are pushing the envelope that way. So they have the largest no-kill in Kanab, Utah, and then they have two in Los Angeles called Mission Hills and one in KLA, no-kill Los Angeles. And I'm just really honored to be a part of anything they have to do. You know, I'll help them in any way I can. We've been a part. We were a part of Best Friends. We lived in Kanab, and we've you dealt did? with all. Oh, yeah, yes, we, we did the whole thing. Did a radio show with them and everything. Did, yes, but, uh, was up the sanctuary every day. It's a great place to help out with the animals, and I know there's a lot of people that every once in a while they get this uh, aspiration to go to off and help the animals just quit their day job, get out of that cubicle, and go <laughs> yeah. live in Kanab. Especially if you go to you know Kanab, isn't that place magical? Oh, absolutely magical. How long were you guys there? Um, Five years. It was almost a decade. Yeah. Oh, wow, I'm so impressed. That's just amazing. Yeah. I think that place is just heaven on earth. Every time I'm there, I'm thinking I'm going to give up everything. <laughs> yep. You and everybody else. Right? Yes. Yeah, I'm taking my 10-year-old son there in a couple months because I went there last year, and he's a big animal lover, and it's just such a hands-on way to see what they do and such a variety of animals, you know? It's one of those places everybody must visit at least once in their lifetime. Yes. Absolutely. It happens to be right in the middle, as you know, of some of the most beautiful places in the United States. Uh Uh-huh. The Grand Canyon and everything. Zion. The whole thing, is, and it's so family-friendly, and it just makes you want to have your own rescue organization. (laughs) So inspiring. You know, well, uh, no. So tell me, what's this mirror that you have? What's it all about? Is it? Uh, do you look in it, and do you, do you look as <laughs> beautiful as you? 
I do. I look at it every day and say, please, more work. Um, no, 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 no. Uh, <laughs> anytime there's somebody who wants to collaborate and helping to bring awareness and raise funds to organizations, particularly Best Friends, as we just mentioned, um, I'm jumping up and down and I'm on board. And Ken has been a friend of mine for, for decades now, and I think he's really has this beautiful design launch that he's been doing. It's getting a lot of traction. We're talking about the Ken Gray Home Accessory Line. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And they have this beautiful mirror. He named it the Charlotte Mirror. It's very subtle, I know. But um, (laughs) it's this really beautiful big mirror. And a part of the proceeds go to Best Friends. So I'm helping kind of promote that right now. And you can get that over at uh, Ken Gray Home. Dot com. That's with two N's, and we'll put links to everything you've heard on oh, today's good. show over at AnimalRadio.com. Oh, T- good. Tell us about the animals you have at home. Do you have animals at home? Oh, of course. Don't you guys? Uh, well, of course. Yeah. Gosh, you were in Kanab, Utah. You probably have a whole bunch. Well, we have a whole studio full we of have, animals. We have a kitten from, well, she's, he's not a kitten anymore, but we have a cat from, from Best Friends. But, oh, you do? Yes. Which one, the Utah one or yes. LA? Yes. Yeah. Oh, good for you. Oh, that's a... Um, well, I recently was a... Um, what was I? They call it a foster failure. Yep. <laughs> you, you try. You try so hard. But yeah, you I was one of them. Yep. Twice. I know. And I told my son, I said, we, you know, we can cry, but we can't continue fostering. If we don't understand, we have to bring them back. So the truth is I've always had two or three dogs. I have one from the South Central LA shelter named Tyler. He's a large-sized dog. His name was Tyson, which I thought was a bit suspect. <clears throat> I didn't really like that. <laughs> and then I did a movie in Puerto Rico years ago and Brought back five and oh my found homes for four. Kept one. I named him Taco, and you know Taco was on the cover of like four or five dog magazines because I loved telling the story of Taco because he was skittish, you know, a little bit aggressive. I mean, he survived in the streets of Puerto Rico for God's sakes for Is a he year. A Chihuahua. No, you know, he was like the king of Puerto Rico. So no, he wasn't a Chihuahua, but he was just a little bigger, just a little bit bigger. He looks like um, he looked like a Jack Russell. So anyway. I think that people give up too quickly when they rescue dogs. You know, oh, that was hard to handle, or he's got issues. And Taco was emblematic of continued love and food and and support. And he became what I think all rescued animals become, and that's forever grateful. And um, and he lived for 18 years, and he wow. passed away about a year ago. And I'm not quick to replace animals, so I was waiting and just fostering and fostering cats as well. And and then one day I was fostering four from Mission Hills Best Friends and. He was playing with my lonely Tyler dog, who the doctor had said he's obese. (laughs) I don't think he's obese. But, you know, you have to be careful that your dog's, you know, weight. We hear that all the time. Yes. Anyway, and then and then the, one of the puppies sat on um, Taco's grave, and I thought, oh, this is that moment. And so I kept one, and her name is Sadie. And I think she was from some place in L.A. as well, dropped off at one of the city shelters covered in feces and that kind of thing. Oh, so wow. I, I only have two right now. Only two. You know, we hear a lot of times, especially with actors and actresses, they don't have animals because they travel so they much. They work so much and travel so much, they don't think it's fair to leave the animal at home. Well, I had a one-eyed Pekingese for 18 years as well. And she went everywhere with me. I mean, I never shot in L.A., Vancouver, New York, wherever. Um, I personally just have to have dogs around. Sure. You know, and I think that maybe if I'm going on location for one week or two weeks, um, I don't bring them and, and board them or have friends and that kind of thing. Um, but I just can't imagine because, you know, you always have a home base or if you're on location for a few months, I just I have to have dogs around. I know it's a little more expensive and high maintenance, but that's just kind of my choice, you know. Sure, sure. Charlotte, it was so fun visiting with you today, and I encourage listeners to check out 
the website, KenGrayHome.com, with two ends. And, of course, we'll put those links over at AnimalRadio.com. And check out the Charlotte Mirror and uh, help out best friends when you get this mirror. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest one of all? Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. A little bubbly gal. I was just enamored with her. Dogs or cats, horse or emu, animals are people too. U.S. Border Patrol agents recently detained an Arizona driver when drug-sniffing dogs reacted to the smell of marijuana in his car. The dogs were right. A small amount of marijuana was found, and when the agents asked the driver if he had anything else they should know about, he admitted, yes, he did have an alligator. Sure enough, there was a live four-foot alligator stuffed into his suitcase. The driver was arrested on drug charges, and the alligator, who was in good shape, although wrinkled, I bet, was released to the Arizona Game and Fish Department. Maybe with all that pot smoking... He thought he was carrying an alligator bag. I'm Britt Savage for Animal Radio. Animals are people too. Animal Radio. You're listening to Animal Radio. Find us at AnimalRadio.com. Log on, learn more. Thousands of authors across the country have written books and published them with Page Publishing. If you've written a book, they can help you through the process. Cut through the confusion of the publishing world to make it easy for you. If they decide to publish your book, your work ends, theirs begins. From copy editing and proofing to typesetting and book cover art. Plus, get your book printed, distributed, and sold on Amazon, Apple Books, Barnes & Noble, and in bookstores across the country. They even help promote your book. Biography, self-help, mystery, novels, sci-fi, or even a children's book. No matter what genre, Page Publishing can bring your book to life. And don't forget to ask about audiobooks. We do all of this for you. Call today for your free writer's guide packed with tips, tricks, and templates to help you finish what you started. 800-215-6815. That's 800-215-6815. I'm Beth Stern on Animal Radio and Adopt from Your Local Shelter. You're listening to Animal Radio. If you missed any part of today's show, visit us at AnimalRadio.com or download the Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. Didn't you take your dog to be uh, tested for its herding instinct? Yeah, yeah, I did. And she passed. Oh, good. So she is of a herding breed, so that's originally where the breed uh, kind of came about, was uh, guarding um, cattle and herding the cattle and guarding the home. And uh, so nowadays, you know, not many of them get that opportunity in suburbia. So uh, it's just a way to kind of test to make sure the breed still retains some of the instincts it was. So, but what does this mean for Nikki now? Are you going to take her out on weekends and let her herd up some cats and <laughs> No, ducks no, and, no, no. I, th- I think it's just a little notch on her belt to say she did it. And, uh, you know, it's like an experience. As a kid, I went to, like, dance classes. I played volleyball. You know, it's something to, you know, stimulate her mind and, her, and keep her busy physically. So Nikki is your child, isn't she? She is in every sense of the word, and and I do spoil her. Um, but uh, and I did, I just corrected some really big grooming boo boos I had been doing, Joey. So I I got some tips, and I'm working on uh, getting her to look a little bit better. <laughs> cool. Yeah, it takes time. And Judy says Tony's on the phone for Doctor Debbie. Hey, Tony. Hey there. How are you today? Good. What's going on? Hey, uh, I was calling. Um, 
I have a cat. I have an exotic short-haired cat. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the breed. It's oh, sure, part yeah. Persian. Yeah, they're short-haired Persians, basically, and uh, it's considered the extreme exotic short-haired because it has the complete flat face. And uh, I got this little girl from uh, a breeder, and she sold it real cheap. The reason being is part of her face, I guess it has something to do with her nostrils and her nose, it's something on the inside makes her where she constantly has a runny nose, and when she sneezes, I mean, she'll literally sling mucus all over the place. <laughs> mm. But uh, she said that there really wasn't nothing that could be done, but some vets have said that, uh, you know, there could be surgeries or antibiotics or something. I was wondering mm-hmm. if I could get an idea from what you would think if you've seen this before. Oh, gosh, yes. And and I have to say, I love exotic short hairs, but they don't like me. I am very allergic to the breed, um, along with uh, uh, some different uh, other exotic short hair breeds. They just make me itchy, sneezy, so I start blowing snot all over the place. <laughs> but um, as far as for kitties that do this, and you, know, you mentioned Persians and some of the exotic um, short-haired breeds, they definitely can have a propensity for chronic um, rhinitis, some eye discharge. And in some degree of that can be normal. However, I usually characterize those kitties as the ones having just a little bit of just the, the brown to mucusy um, eye boogers and nose boogers. If we've actually got snot, and snot is in my book equals green or a boogery kind of consistency, then we really have more of an infection component or a rhinitis that's going on. So we may very well have um, some kind of a chronic viral and or bacterial infection. And we know know that actually 90% of the cases of kitties with these respiratory snuffly cases, they're generally viral, which means that they can come and go, can be a chronic problem, can actually be worsened at certain times in their life when they're stressed, they're nervous, other things are going on in in their kitty life. Um, So it may not be that there's nothing that can be done, but it may mean that you need to look at what you can do to help control her symptoms and to try to help things out. So um, I definitely, um, if I'm, if I hear someone say, oh, we just can't do anything to help my kitty, um, I, I like to make sure that that's truly the fact. And, and I think there could be some things done for your baby. Um, just depends on how well we can control that. And, uh, you know, it, it is a battle. And there are some cats, I've had cases where kitties with chronic snuffling cases where they're blowing boogers all over the walls. You know, we, we do our best to manage that, make them as comfortable as possible. And some kitties, it means long-term antibiotics. Sometimes we'll put them on antivirals um, or even things like lysine that can help with the herpes virus that is very common in these kitties. Um, now, that, that would help with the cat symptoms? It can, yeah, because the great majority of these kitties have a viral infection. Um, and of those, 90% of those infections are actually due to herpes virus and Khaleesi virus, which kind of have that waxing and waning course. So lysine is one thing that can help disrupt herpes virus replication in, in animals as well as people. So we can supplement with that. And there's treats, there's paste, and all sorts of things like that that we can use. 
Um, also, sometimes, you know, these antibiotics we'll use on a long-term basis for kitties, and we find a low dose of something that can actually help maybe control things. Um, and uh, for some kitties, I like to look at whether or not we've done some diagnostics, because I've had some cats where they just, we can't get a handle on things, and they can actually develop little polyps, little kind of growths in the back of the throat or in the sinus passage. And they can even have where the cartilage just gets so diseased after a lifetime of all this snuffling and discharge and so forth, that the cartilage in the nose actually gets uh, kind of dead or what we call necrotic and it actually has to be cleaned out with surgery so um, there's a lot that can be done it just kind of depends on establishing where your particular kitty is and that might mean uh, if you haven't had her to a vet yet to check that out I would definitely recommend you do that let them take a good look a listen maybe run some basic lab work and try some of the routine therapies an antibiotic an antiviral maybe a lysine supplement for some people if you're really good and your cat's really accepting you can do nasal flushes um but it's not for everyone um because the scratches can be immense for some cats thanks for your call tony well uh, what do you say we all get out of here Go okay. walk our dogs and cats and iguanas and ferrets and flamingos. Go grow my bouvier. Yes, let's yeah. go do that. <laughs> and is that it? Oh. I think that's it. If you want a transcript of the show, go ahead, write down everything we say and send us five bucks. <laughs> does, that, does that work? It works for me. Okay. We'll see you next week right here on this fine station. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone. This is Animal, Animal. Animal. Radio Network. Network.